Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Jeff Rogers and Noe Bastidas of CRB Homes. Jeff oversees business operations and overall project development, construction, and quality control within the product and financial arenas. Noe oversees strategy for organic and inorganic growth projects in the public and private sector business lines. The two have worked together for the last several years and are now focused on moving the business forward and trying to set a new standard covering all ends of the construction process. Now for my conversation with Jeff and Noe. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Noe. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to get started. Just give people some context. Names, what's the company, where are you guys located, and that sort of thing. CRV Homes is our construction company. It's it's how we market and really where, where we're building our brand. Located out of Houston Metro, Houston being the large city that it is. You say Houston, you know, place like down south against the, along the water in Galveston or along the, the coast and going up north towards Conroe and Woodlands and everything in between is really where we do the majority of our work, both on the custom side as well as on the spec and in the investment homes. Right on. Cool. And I'm curious, how did the company start and, and when was that? The company really kind of started officially in, in 2017. So at that time, and I'll, you know, Noe, Noe can tell his own story about it, but but at that time I was in the production home building industry with one of the one of the largest builders, or I guess the largest builder in, in Texas at the time. We were just pumping out homes, you know, a hundred closings a month. That was how you kept the noose off of your neck, right? A hundred closings <laughs> a month for, for for your division. It got to be stressful, you know, man. At the time I had one kid and you know, I, I literally I'm the kind of person that's, you know, very loyal to to the company that I work for and I give it everything I had. I'd come out of the military prior to that. And so I literally asked my my boss, you know, hey, is everything going to be all right if I have some kids and, you know, can I buy a house and stuff like that? And, you know, he's like, yeah, absolutely. So everything was fine, you know, and it worked out well. I got I got promoted real quick all the way up and, and we were doing good. I was in charge of a, a bunch of stuff and we were doing about 100 closings a month in, in my division. But the catch was, and I've told this story a million times, but it turned into one of those deals where, you know, now I have two kids, right? And I'm calling my wife at seven o'clock and saying, hey, I'm not going to make it home from work. Do you want to come bring me a change of clothes? And we'll have dinner together. And then I'm going to go back to the model home, work all night on my laptop, shower in the model home shower in the morning, and then just continue this process, right? And so that got really old for me after about 10 years. And so I was looking for a different way out. And at that point, I, I felt like I had I had the experience and the expertise to do building custom homes of my own, right? And do remodeling. So essentially, we started remodeling. 
And in a way, can tell you his story, but at the end of the day, we both just kind of merged in. And after he tells you his story, I'll, I'll give you the one more little story about it. But that was in 2017. And in the way I worked at an oil company. Go on. Gotcha. You want to tell them about your, your transition? Yeah. So my background was I was a corporate guy, right? So I grew up in the, in the corporate industry, primarily in the oil and gas space, in which you know, that's how a lot of people end up in Houston. And that's how I ended up in Houston. But I always had a, a very much of an entrepreneurial itch. And Jeff, in a lot of ways, was kind of what I'd been looking for in terms of really an, an entrepreneurial venture in, in something that was not really what you, what you would think of when it came to private equity. So I grew up in this private equity where you're, you're looking to buy assets and you're looking to financially leverage them and do things. And Jeff was building production homes. And you know Jeff and I were, were friends long before we were business partners. And I realized that Jeff had with the volume of homes, had actually seen every type of construction problem you can imagine in the world of residential construction. And in a lot of ways, he became then my secret sauce to say, man, he can do something very complex. And I think we can do it in an easier fashion where we can leverage that and commoditize something that, quite frankly, is very difficult in our industry, which is building a home. And we took a very macroscopic view and said, you know what? I'm ready to like really kind of you know leave and 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 really move down this entrepreneurial path. And I think I found what I want to dedicate myself towards, which is really let's commoditize building a home, but let's take it all the way from the very beginning, before there's even any land, and let's control the entire process all the way through obviously the construction. You think of a builder and you think of, well, this is the person I give my plans to, and they're gonna build make the house for me. But we said, you know what, let's control the entire life cycle from acquiring the land securing the financing, designing the structures, pulling the permits, and then obviously controlling the construction piece. And I say that almost in passing because that's a very difficult thing. But for us, that was actually the easiest part, building the home. And so we took something end to end and commoditized it in a way where we could control the value chain and in a lot of ways, make things faster, cheaper in a very, very mature economic uh, process but that involved a lot of people and a lot of middle people, which is why building a home can be very expensive. But taking the reins of that and building a business around it was the key to saying, hey, I think we can now have a financial engine in the idea of building a home in, in a relatively easier fashion than when the, it, what the industry is used to. And now we can leverage this to build our own spec and investment homes as well as custom homes. And then I'll, I'll let Jeff pivot a little bit to really where we think we created a, a new type of value in the industry that didn't exist. Essentially, I'll talk about that too, but in a way, in a way was also kind of my secret sauce, you know, to use that same term, because in this industry of construction and remodeling, I was very, very resistant to breaking out of my own and jumping into the exact same arena as all the other guys that are in the industry, right? And we wanted to change it. I didn't want to do something like, in other words, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do something that was different. I didn't want to add to the amount of builders. I wanted to create something new that people need and want that we can actually do a really good job with. And so that's kind of like the whole value chain thing that nobody's talking about. But my whole point is that, you know, once we finally started doing this, quick side note, it took Noe about two hours to talk me off the ledge, right? So here I am. <laughs> You know, I have a good job. I'm doing really well for, you know, working in, in, in the production building industry. And I'm like, man, I have good insurance, blah, blah. I have three kids, you know? And so like, I remember driving down around a neighborhood, right? 
And my boss found me and he goes, what are you doing, man? And I'm like, I'm, I'm working. What are you talking about? He goes, no, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I know a person when I see them, you know, there's something wrong with you. Are you on our team or not on our team? Yeah, of course. Of course I am, Mr. You know, I'm a hundred percent all in, you know, this is it. And he goes, all right. So like two hours later, I'm driving in circles around this neighborhood. I walked back in his office. I was like, Hey, I quit, man. I'm done. I'm just going to take the plunge and, and we're going to, we're going to do this. So that's really kind of how we officially launched this thing. But, but long story short, in talking about what Noe talked about, he was able to also help us figure out a way to do something that is going to differentiate us from, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but there's a large percentage of builders and, and remodelers that kind of fall in line with the chuck and a truck model. You know, they got a truck, they got some boots, they got some tools. You give me the plans, I can build it, spit the tobacco on the floor, kind of kind of builders, right? And we really wanted to professionalize that industry because there's a whole bunch of clientele that quite frankly don't appreciate that type of approach and that type of interaction, especially the clients that we ultimately want to target. We want to be able to provide them more of a streamlined, technology-driven, professional customer approach that can literally provide them like a professional service all the way along. Because at the end of the day, you know, you meet these people who are sophisticated investors, but then they make their first investment into residential real estate and they're not so sophisticated anymore. You know, so they don't know what, game. Yep. Yeah, they don't know what to do. And even if they go through the motions and they get their plans and they get their engineering, well, guess what? They didn't realize that that architect that's only going to build for them or draw for them one time drew things that cost a fortune. That aren't necessary for the market if you analyze it on a you know a market cost basis, right? Like you don't need those items in this particular home for this neighborhood in order to sell it for the maximum price. Any of those items you put in are going to result in zero additional sales dollars. And, and so, you know, you, we wind up with a lot of that. And then then you look at this foundation that's for a one-story bungalow, right? And it's designed for a five-story parking garage. And it's an extra 50 grand to put these 12-foot deep piers in the ground for this little home. And so, you know, we see this and we see it over and over and over. And then we see these abandoned projects and, and people that are trying to sell them. We know what's going on, you know? So they got into this ball game. They didn't know all the permitting. They didn't know the inspections. They didn't know the engineering, the civil engineering, et cetera, et cetera, the replat process. There's a whole bunch that goes into this. that just eventually just, it becomes overwhelming for the person who's a full-time engineer working 60 hours a week at their job that thought they could do this on the side. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, after they find out that the lot they purchased has a utility easement that's 30 feet in the back and not five. And you didn't know that you needed a new survey because that one from 2009 was perfect, right? And and so, you know, you you run into all these issues. And and so that's kind of what Noe is talking about is that we were like, you know what, let's be able to provide a professional service essentially for every aspect of the entire process so that not only can we, you know, essentially help people build a custom home, these more sophisticated type of people who want to invest in residential real estate because it's the value, but it's an insurmountable process to, to go through. You almost need to do it full time. We can hold their hand through every aspect of it and assign them to one of our real estate agents who we train every single week on what to look for in land for investment homes or custom homes or whatever. They'll vet out, you know, a hundred checklist items on the due diligence to make sure that that land's going to work. And we're looking way into the future. We're not going to have any issues with permitting. We're not going to have any issues with easements. We're not going to have any issues with nothing. And so we kind of go through that process and they feel a lot more comfortable knowing that the money that they're spending now is essentially all accounted for. There's not any, I didn't know about this. So an extra expense, right? 
we, we try real hard to make all of our contracts like a turnkey contract from start to finish, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You get the land and, and, and this is going to be the cost for literally everything. You guys really came at it from, hey, we've each got kind of some special sauce. We see like an opening in the market that isn't being served and then said, let's do it. I'm kind of curious, like once you guys both said, all right, let's take the plunge. What was the first year like? I mean, I think the first year we built one house, right? Yeah, no, the first year was building one house and and it, it was bringing the, these disparate resources that are important all into one under under one fold. Yeah. You know? We're in Houston and, and we're in Texas, so, so it's very much a, an open market when it comes to trades. And, and there's very few licensed trades or even licensed services in this entire food chain. And so there's a good side to that because now, you know, in, in a sense, you, you can negotiate the best pricing possible. You can, you know, do things like, you know, get get some scale so that you can negotiate down pricing. But there's also a downside to having that much of an open market which is you, you might not know what you get. and You don't know, necessarily know the quality to, uh, of the type of service you're going to get. Now, Jeff had a very strong background and good relationships, so that helped. But, you know, that was on the trade side. We have to find an architect who doesn't think they're an artist and wants to charge us artist rates because <laughs> we, we don't need an architect to do that, I, I, even for our investors, but especially for our, our custom home builders. Custom people are very savvy. You know, you can jump on the internet and you have your Pinterest board, or you have your 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 you know your little collage of the things you want in your home, and and they're quite frankly, to be honest, they're very reasonable things. You know, I want my entrance to look a particular way. I might I want my rooms to be sized. Here's a nice little accent wall, but they don't know who to take that to to tell them what it's going to cost, and then work with an architect to architect just enough to actually make it viable, but not over architect it. Then you bring in the engineer. This engineer you only work with one time, and engineer that is a licensed trade they're not a trade they're licensed professional and they don't want to be sued because you know a home that they designed fell over and so they're only working with you one time and so they tend to charge a lot more and they tend to over engineer what's necessary so these are the people that in that first year we said hey we're going to work with you for the next 15 20 years as a matter of fact we want to do something that other people in our industry don't do we want to we want to offer a 20 year warranty where legally we're only required to offer a 10 year structural warranty so we, we're not trying to cut the corner on the engineering, but to be clear, we're engineering something for, for for a very specific purpose, and we don't need to go beyond that. And we're not just going to be a fly-by-night type customer. We're going to work with you for an extended period of time. And so it was building those initial relationships and making sure that we had a team that could deliver on this idea of something that, that can be, in fact, commoditized because you know it needs to be able to go through a process where it's like a little factory, a little machine. And so that first year, building that collection of, of I'd say, those support services around the trades, the trades, quite frankly, you think the, the, those might be the harder people to recruit, but actually those were some of the easier ones. It was really some of these other people, the architects, the engineers, permit runners. Those are the team that took a little while to put together. Replatting professionals and surveyors and whatnot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, especially if you're really going end to end, then you're going to have a lot more players, you know, through that whole whole process. So you have to build those strong relationships with. Even the attorney in the legal side was difficult <laughs> to find a person that wants to, you know, understand what we're doing and then jump on board with it. Right. A lot of other people were they didn't really have an expertise in, in exactly what we needed them for. So there was some expertise elements to to finding these people too. Yeah, and thinking about the first like few years, what was maybe like a really big win and then a really big like mistake or hurdle where you're just like, oh, if we could have skipped that, that would have been nice. I'll tell you, a couple really big wins was actually starting to 
build the, just that first house, that first house that we built in our first year, it doesn't seem from a productivity perspective that we did a lot, but that first house, especially because of how we approached it, the quality of the home, the type of way from an approach perspective that we went through that process, that home commercially in that next year generated about 10 to 12 additional contracts. So even though it was one home, in a lot of ways, we were very methodical you know, or, or you know, slow in building that one home. But the methodical process that we set up that first year paid out many times fold, okay? And I say that was a very big, big win just because like anything else, you want to start off on a good footing. You want to do things right the first time. And so even though we were slow, I look at it as more methodical and it really established the product that people could walk through and see that really we could replicate over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast, right? Yeah. You got it. You got yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. On the difficulty side, I'd say we were, I'd say, designed forward in a, in a couple areas because we wanted to also on the investment side, be able to bring some things to market. Okay. And I think there are things you know and the things you don't know. And the things that we don't know are things like COVID. Okay. And so we exposed ourselves a little bit by having a set of contracts that were tied to you know, what's happening in the market. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we thought we could see and control in the market. And then there's things you don't know and you don't see. And that happens. And so as a result, we had for a point, we had a little bit more spec homes that were tied to market variables than what I'll call fee business, you know, mm-hmm. contracts that were, we're just building for others, whether it's other investors or just custom homeowners, where we had a slightly better balance of, you know, a position on the market where if the market's doing well, we make good money, but we need to have a balance because where the market may sink a little bit, we still need to have good money coming into the business from that fee business where we might have a little bit of exposure to the market. And so that year, that first year of COVID where, you know, it could be potentially the end of the earth type scenario. And, and you know, there's a lot of overreaction by the market. We saw ourselves that, hey, we need to have better balances to how many contracts we hold for ourselves where we're expecting the market to do well versus those contracts where independent of the market, we know we're going to get paid because we're building on other people's behalf. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I know. And yeah, nobody, nobody saw that coming, but it's a good wake up call to just say, okay, got to have some balance here and we got to be ready for, you know, those, uh, those wild events that, that come up that you can't control. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. What does the business look like today? And then where are you guys trying to take it over the next three or five years? I'll tell you, 
if I answer your question, I'll, I'll say, let me, let me tell you like this, where did it look like a couple years ago up to today? I think is important to just talk about because with COVID and all the other inflation things that are going on in the market, there's been a huge shift in who is your customer, right? Sure. You know, I'll tell you like a couple years ago, if you said, Hey Jeff, you know, what price range is your average customer in? Probably about three fifty to five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars in that range. You know, for think, custom oh, homes. Yeah, for custom homes we're talking about. And that represented, you know, maybe 85% of our clientele. And that was a couple of years ago. Okay. Real quick, fast forward. We have had COVID. We've gone through all the changes and difficulties we've all experienced with that. And and now we're experiencing, you know, kind of like inflation that hasn't been that, that hasn't been this strong in a very, very long time. And so with that, right now, what does our market look like? Our market is all million dollar plus homes. Every client that we have coming in the door is you know million dollar plus price point. And we really don't have anybody at all. I mean, like zero people that are coming in and saying, hey, can you build me a, a custom home? My budget is $400,000, you know? And I know that, by the way, I know that, that that is also something that you never really saw in the market before because the market of custom homes was always kind of $500,000 plus. Just to throw in that, that was something that we were able to do back then. We, you know, we were building custom homes for people. They were smaller, but we were building custom homes for people on their land, you know, in that price range. That's something that we did that kind of set us apart from some other builders. But nonetheless, that represented a huge sector of our of our clientele. And now that represents, you know, a very, very small percentage of our clientele. And almost every single person we have coming in is in that higher price point. But in, in terms of where do I see it going, I see that maybe dialing back a little bit, but I also see it increasing, you know, the same thing. A lot of these people that are even buying million dollar homes now, they may be spending a million dollars, but they're not necessarily thrilled that the home they get is a $750,000 home from what they're, you know, hoping that they could get, right? Just because the prices of things. So, you know, I, I see people looking at more of a focus on quality of construction and quality of materials and, and workmanship in their home, more so than they were previously focused with how big of a house can I get for my money? You know, we're in Texas, you know, I know you're up in Seattle area and I'm from the Northwest originally as well. And, and I know the land prices up there are staggeringly more than they are in Texas. I mean, you're talking about buying two acres in a developed gated community for a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. That's wow. a normal thing, you know, and these aren't like cheap pieces of land. These are beautiful with big stone rock walls in the back of them. It's a two acre pie shaped lot. I mean, these are really nice lots. Anyway, on a lake, you know, stuff like that. And so like, th this is a normal thing down here, but you know, we had a client from California come in and uh, he had lived in the Los Angeles area and we had done a custom home consultation with him. He never knew anything. He was moving to the Texas area, Houston area, I should say. And he, he made a comment. I'll probably never forget. He goes, so wait a minute. So what I'm understanding from this is basically I buy the house from you guys and the land is like basically free. That was his mindset, you know, of of tech, South Texas land prices. But, but anyway, I see the market going toward more of a quality versus size. And I also see from an investment perspective, the market shifting into owning more rental properties in a portfolio level than what our prior client used to be. That was our investor client. People come to us and say, will you build me a home? I'd like to have you sell the home and make the, you know, the difference or whatever. That used to be real common. You know, we turn these homes around pretty quickly. We buy the land, we develop the plans, we build the house, we sell it the house with our own agency. And then the investor you know, makes his margin. The margins used to be pretty, pretty good. But now the margins are still very, very favorable from an investment perspective. I mean, you're not making very much in the stock market exchanges and your mutual funds and whatnot aren't doing like, they're not screaming and catching on fire, you know? So you make someone five, 6%, 
in those markets, everybody's happy all day. You make someone five or 6% on a real estate bill, it's like, man, 5%. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we used to be able to turn people around like 15, 20%. But now that in, in material prices and whatnot has gone up so much that that's just really not the case anymore. So we're right in that 10, 10 to 12% range right now, which is still you know very lucrative from an investment perspective. But nonetheless, I think that people are wanting a stronger return when they put their money in real estate. And as a result, the only way to do that is to do a long-term hold, you know, build a property, rent that property out, and, and kind of amortize your costs over a very long period of time. And that's another big shift that I see. Sell Texas, is, is, Houston specifically, is in a very unique position in terms of protections from the broader real estate market, even with rising interest rates. And the biggest factor comes down to like basic supply and demand, which is over the last five years, Houston has eroded its supply of homes because of a lot of environmental factors, more flooding, hurricanes, and you mix that in with, with a very, I'd say, liberal set of standards as to what you're allowed to do with your land. And what I mean by liberal set of standards is you can do whatever you want with your land in Houston. You, you can have vacant land. You can you can have vacant land right next to an indoor home. And as long as you mow it and no one complains about it, it can sit there for 20, 30, 40 years as long as you pay your taxes. Or you can um, open a tire shop next to a million dollar custom home. <laughs> and, and, and so you, you have a lot of freedom as to what you can do with your land. That's the liberal element that I'm talking about. And so as people's, you know, rental homes were affected by flooding and they just simply kind of just, you know, knocked them down, all of a sudden, Houston, we tend to be opposite to a lot of uh, kind of the, the drivers of the market. So oil and gas is is high and, and people are complaining about their, you know, six, seven, eight dollar gallon of gas. In the background, Texans are quietly like, you know, hoo-ha and, and very happy, you know. And so it's one of those things where things are, are a little bit in reverse. So, so quietly, Houston and, and South Texas has this expanding economy where obviously the rest of the country is struggling in some ways, especially when it comes to the energy sector. And, and so that drives th- this need for homes, starter homes, young professionals, and people that get hit hard, well, they need to then downgrade and come into a smaller set of homes. But again, over the last five years, we've eroded our supply. And at the end of the day, people need places to live. So we're on the custom home front. Jeff is talking about these million-dollar-plus contracts, which has been the far greatest growth of our, of our portfolio. And I expect that still in the next three to five years. On the investment front, you're talking about building smaller homes and more of them, more in the two hundred to three hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand dollar price range. And now it's just how long are you going to keep it, hold it? to actually get the returns that you want. And that's really where we've seen the flip model of selling going to like, let's hold. Because the, you know, if, you're, if you're a landlord, there's a benefit to rising inflation costs, you know, which is you charge people more rent. Okay. And you pass a lot of your, a lot of the, a lot of the expenses go back to the renter, you know, more for gas, more for water, more for electricity. That doesn't affect the landlord. And so you're seeing a lot of people trying to capture that market and Houston has had very favorable conditions that have really kind of lend itself to that investor front growing. But now instead of selling it, you're holding it for a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting because yeah, normally you see people that just kind of like would buy and hold rentals. But when you build, you usually figure, hey, build and flip it. So that's pretty interesting to see that, that shift going on. Got a couple more questions to wrap us up, but going to pivot on you guys. You got any like Wacky client stories or just funny, funny projects that you've worked on over the last several years? Something you can share? Tell them about the pharmacist, no way. <laughs> oh, the pharmacist. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's wacky of, 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 the, of the wrong type. But so, 
you never know what type of people that, that you, you know, you're going to come across. And, and I'll tell you, as a business owner, you're running your business, but in a lot of ways, you're always trying to protect your business. And, and you start by trying to protect your business just commercially. Like, I need to bring in more money than than's going out, right? And, and Jeff can tell you that, you know, I, I spend the majority of my time managing how much we spend because I'm the frugal guy, okay? Now, let's go on the commercial side. So you're trying to always protect your business. We had this client who was a unique client, and we are still taking advantage of some really high level and high dollar remodeling gigs. We we really tried to sunset that, but there was different times, especially during COVID, where we tried to kind of just maximize all of our commercial. Again, we need more money coming in than going out. Say, hey, commercially, whatever we can get, we're going to maximize right now, even though, quite frankly, this isn't necessarily where we want to spend the majority of our time. But in any case, we took on some of these additional jobs, and one of it was for a stay from a virtual pharmacist. There's virtual everything nowadays, including virtual pharmacists. And we happened to pick one up as our client. Okay, now this virtual pharmacist had a, a legal contract that we executed with him, and we executed on that contract. But we started to get our eyebrows raised a little bit when this pharmacist started paying us with, with cash tender as opposed to checks and and other things. Yeah, our, our project manager would call and say, hey, guys, hey, boss, I don't really know what you want me to do, but I'm not sure I feel comfortable. I got a brown bag and it's full of cash. Oh, jeez. gave it to me and said you'd send him an invoice and that I'm supposed to take care of this. He's like, I don't do the billing. You know, I just do the building. So what do you want me to do with this? We're like, well, and, and the guy had left, right? He left the house. Sure, left. Yeah. He's like, here's this bag of cash. So, yeah. yeah and, and we're like, oh, man, I, I mean, here's the account information, drive it to the bank and give it to them, you, you know? And so he's like, I don't know about this. Luckily, he was like an ex-police officer. He felt comfortable. So he goes to the bank and they won't accept the money. <laughs> he walks in this big wrinkled bag of cash. He's like, here. <laughs> they were like, where is this from? You know? And he's like, our client, he's a pharmacist. And I mean, it was like, oh my God. And so, so after know, they wouldn't accept it. With so. our lawyer and our lawyer saying, you have a legal executed contract, right? Yes, we do. And you execute on that contract, correct? That's correct. And what they paid for on that contract is typical what someone would pay. Yes, sir. And is money legal in the United States? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, you know, you guys are on the up and up now, you know, I understand this is kind of wacky, but <laughs> you guys are okay. Well, he, and he did it like, for the rest of the construction too. I mean, we were like, Hey, do you think you can write us a check or wire it? I mean, this is kind of inconvenient. And, and every time we go to the bank, they're like, excuse me. You, you know what I mean? It was a, it was one of those deals. And so, so the bank, the, the bank, bank basically back. accepted it. Once you talked to the lawyer and went through all the check boxes and like, yeah, no. they just wanted all the documentation in order. But I mean, walking in there with a backpack full of twenties, isn't necessarily a typical way that a builder does uh, business. You know? <laughs> So I'm curious, like, what was the biggest like bag of cash? Like, how much was he bringing in like these installments? Like this big, <laughs> 40k, 30k, 20k. You know, just oh, our, our draws. You know, yeah. And now, you know, for us contractually, we you know we always draw after we do the work. So so that, that was that was that actually was was a big plus. They're like, okay, well, is there an, is there an inspector here? Is there someone actually validating that you're doing the work? And I'm like, yes, sir, yes, there is. You know, yeah, yes, ma'am, yeah. here, you know, here it is. And we only bill after we actually did the work. And here's the evidence that we did the work. Yeah, you're going in every three or four days, right? With fives, tens, and twenties. And it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, what is going on here. Needless but, to say, we, we don't do business with stay-at-home pharmacists anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> it's new, new policy. Well, guys, this has been awesome. I got one more question. I'll I'll have you both answer it to wrap us up. But if you could 
leave our listeners, which is a lot of design build guys, whether it's remodeling custom homes with one piece of advice or final words of wisdom, what do you want to leave people with? Piece of advice that I offer is we tend to work in an industry industry that 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 and, and and I really don't know because I naturally I'm not from this industry, but but people tend not to work with one another. If you're a builder and, and I think you're doing something well, and, and I stop by your one of your developments and I say, man, you know, I think you're you're building a nice home, they, they tend to be very suspicious. And so we don't share information and we don't really work on best practices and some efficiencies the way that I've seen in other industries, even with competitors. And so one thing that I would recommend is if you're ever in Houston and you want to come walk one of our developments, we're one of the few builders that during the construction process, before we put sheetrock, we'll let you actually come walk our site and even criticize us. Tell us what you think we're not doing well. We'll tell you think some things we think we're doing unique. But, but that industry camaraderie that, that really helps helps elevate and improve a, a, an industry, I'd like to see more of and I would encourage it. Not from the perspective that somehow I'm trying to take your business or vice versa, but that quite frankly, we're trying to elevate our overall business together because in, in a place like Houston and South Texas, generally, there's more work than there are people. And, and so it's not one of these things where somehow I'm going to take your client or vice versa, but I'll, I'll tell you that there's a lot of things that we can do as a group of builders and a group of developers. If we, if we ask for it, if we lobby for it, if we work with the city, we can do a lot more together than if we just try to work alone. And I would recommend that people try to find ways to work with one another, whether it's through their local health builder associations, through their state level associations, or even even a little bit more locally. Yeah, love it. Great advice. I'll answer your question too, Spencer. Uh, different topic, but an answer to the same question, which is, and the guys that have been doing this for a while, they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about as soon as I start saying, but for anybody starting out, best advice I would ever give you would be make sure that you get with your local association of builders. They probably have a promulgated construction contract or remodeling contract that you can use as a template. You know, my background is also a background, a legal background. And, and I see so many of these chuck in a truck type builders, right? That they write their own contract or whatever. And there's so many just insurmountable amount of problems typically with a with a contract that's written in, in, in less in, in, a, in a, a contract that's written by an industry professional, but not a legal professional, right? And, and, and there's a lot of differences in that. And the one thing I would tell you is make sure that you use your association of builders promulgated, pre-promulgated contract if you can. And the other thing would be, in addition to your contract, you're going to have other construction documents that go along with it. Typically, all these contracts say, here's the contract terms, but it all relates to these construction documents, right? When you're talking about your final finishes and, and other details that aren't so final that most builders, especially the ones starting out, don't really think about, what type of wood am I going to be using to frame this new addition to this home that I just accepted a contract for? Be very explicit in that. Write it out. You know, Number two grade, yellow pine or whatever it is, two by four, You know, nominal, one and a half inch by three and a half inch. I mean, be very specific because those are the things that are going to happen when the quote unquote crazy client freaks out that you're not using two by six framing because his dad and his grandpa all built their homes with two by six framing and it was better, right? And not only that, but let's say that you do a very good job with that and you, you articulate everything perfectly and the client reads the contract. Surprise, they read it. They don't know what any of that means or what any of that says. So you need to take a little bit extra time to walk through it with them, literally physically if you can, and make sure that they totally, completely understand the contract, all of your specifications, and do that repeatedly. 
because the problem that we always run into is like, no way. And I say it all the time. We roll our eyes in the office. Jeez, this guy just called me. I already talked to him about this three times. It's in his contract. I don't know why he's so confused about this. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so at the end of the day, you know, I look at that, not from being annoyed with the client. Maybe it's a little frustrating sometimes to get those calls. But at the end of the day, I look at it and say, man, you know what? I failed this guy. This guy is not a builder. You know, he read it and probably didn't fully understand it. I failed him because I didn't take enough time to explain and walk through and ask him questions and probe and make sure that I know he understands every single detail of this contract. It's very time consuming. It's annoying. It's painstaking, but it's absolutely necessary to avoid conflict with your customer, which is one of the things that tends to rear up in this industry more than in a lot of other industries. And part of that reason is that in this industry, it's like building a you know, you're building a, it's like, for example, if you were to take the automotive industry, but allow the big garage doors to be open to the general public and the customers of these future Beamers and Audis or whatever that you're making, right? And let them see the engine fire that happened that you spray paint silver and the Bondo you put on it because so-and-so dented it with his wrench, right? Before it hits the showroom floor and looks beautiful, they're going to freak out if they see all that stuff before it's polished on the showroom floor, right? In this industry, it's one of the few industries that the homeowners are sometimes, especially like in the remodeling business, if you're doing smaller remodeling jobs, they're living in the home during this process. They're literally living inside of your construction site. They see everything, every particle of dust. And so you have to be so, 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 so explicit repeatedly. And that's the best advice I could give to make sure that the expectations are so superior that you can deliver well within those expectations and then make them happy. That's the best advice I could possibly ever give. One thing on what Jeff said that that is is my little kind of end here, which is the contractual piece that we're talking about is really to take care of this. We may use the word chuck in the truck, but with all due respect, those chuck in the trucks are exceptional builders. Okay. And they do the they they're very good at what they do. And unfortunately, we see a lot of a lot of our colleagues get taken advantage of, especially because most 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 of these contracts are paying the rears. And a lot of these people unfortunately end up not getting paid their last bill because they don't have a good contract, not only to like set expectations. But at the end of the day, if, if there's an element here in which you know people need to say, hey, we have a valid legal contract here, you need to pay me. And, and we see that a lot of our colleagues fall short and having something they can use to protect themselves. And I don't care if you're a small guy or a big guy. You know, oftentimes we're, we're trying to help the small guy and say, hey, man, you know, we'll help you put together contracts because there's no reason why you should be getting burned by clients. You did what you were supposed to. They may not have liked it, but they have a legal obligation. But you need to have a contract to be able to enforce that. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. I mean, the contracts are really to protect both parties. And so, yeah, I I think that's great advice. And guys, thanks so much for spending the time and sharing your story with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Take it easy. Best to you. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.